0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be always pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. In the last couple of weeks, we have gotten some of the most popular of all parables. If you're like me, you came before this text and you already knew what it had to say. So it's hard to hear afresh stories like these that are so in us. And it's, it's great that they're in us. That means we probably had some good Sunday school training. And I know... Here at the Advent, we have some of the best Sunday school training. So we could have the kids come up before us today and they could probably recite the story and tell you everything there is to know about it. But for those who hear it afresh, I think many will find that this story is kind of annoying. In fact, the last time, three years ago, when I preached on this sermon, this, this text, I had a couple people who, because they're New Yorkers, they didn't have the best Sunday school experience, were hearing it for the first time, and they told me that this text bugged them. They thought this was an unfair assessment on the part of Jesus. What I wish I would have said at the time, I'm not quick enough to be able to think of these things on the spot, but what I wish I would have said is, well, you got it. You get it. The people who are offended by this text actually get what it was like in the first century. Before we go there, let's talk about popular interpretations of this text. The most popular interpretation, which has been talked about throughout the millennia, is that this text is all about the active life versus the contemplative life. The monks and nuns were right all along. We should be valorizing the contemplative life over the active life. Now, if you talk to any actual monk or nun, they're going to tell you that that interpretation is bogus. At least contemporary monks and nuns. In fact, many of our contemporary monks and nuns are the active type. I think that this interpretation has taken things a little too far. In a sentence, what I think is going on here is we're being told that listening comes before acting. That there's a chronological relationship happening. We see this, the the author of Luke, the writer of our Gospel lesson, also wrote Acts. And in Acts, the deacons, those who serve, they begin to serve not because they're just like active, let's, let's work. They have to hear it first. I think the illustration for you and for me is when we're on an airplane and we are told at the very beginning, if anything goes wrong and the masks come out of the ceiling, you are to put it on yourself first before you help anyone else. We have to listen, we have to hear before we act. Otherwise, all of our acting might just be in vain. That said, I don't know about you, but texts like these bother me because I don't often listen. I know I'm the guy up front, I'm the guy with the collar, I should be at least halfway decent at listening but I often don't listen. In fact, but in some of my conversations with you, unfortunately, you could probably tell that I'm not actually listening, that I am talking just to hear my own voice, that I am anticipating what you're going to say, and I'm not actually present. I have a friend who, whenever I encounter a major life decision, is that annoying friend who says, well, have you prayed about it? And I always respond with, yes, of course I have. I mean, it's what I do, right? But then he asks a follow-up question, and it's, have you actually prayed about it? So annoying because I actually haven't. I am the type of person who likes to act. I like to take charge. I, at my core, am an all-American boy. I have been told since I was young that in order to matter, produce. I think many of you in this room feel this too. In fact, as I was thinking about this earlier this week, I couldn't help but think I had an hour where I didn't know what to do. I was in the office up here. I think an appointment, a scheduled appointment had fallen through, and I couldn't help but kind of freak out because I didn't know, I couldn't just be by myself. I couldn't be bored. And I think it really stems from this, if I'm not producing, if I'm not acting, who am I? I hope that none of you can resonate with that, that you're perfectly fine with being by yourself. Maybe for you, it's less in order to produce is what makes you matter, but maybe you have imbibed what our culture has told us that we are most fundamentally consumers. For those of you who are younger in this room, and you don't have to be younger to have this, but if you're into Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, whatever, and you scroll for any length of time whatsoever, you know that you get 500 ads every two minutes. We don't even see what's happening to us. In fact, I mean, we've all experienced this, right? You're on a conversation on your phone, or maybe you're not even on your phone, but you're talking about something you want, and then suddenly, that very thing pops up on your feed, and you wonder. You become this conspiracy theorist. Are they listening at all times? I think that this story Mary and Martha is especially good for you and me, 21st century Americans. Because in fact, you and I are members of a much more active society than Jesus, Mary, and Martha were a part of. You've all heard this said before, but when someone asks you how you're doing, how do you respond? If you don't say, fine, I'm willing to bet that it's some variation of just so busy. I'm really busy these days. Again, if we're not doing something, who are we? Or we're just a part of a culture that of workaholics and we're just very unhealthy. We're busy all the time. I've talked to friends of mine who are unemployed and they say that they are more exhausted than ever. Now, I don't want to discount that because when you're unemployed, you're super anxious and you're probably constantly looking for jobs, but I also know of folks who are exhausted because of all of this weight, this yoke that we have around our necks. Is there a person in this room who can't resonate with the words that Jesus says to Martha it's as if he's speaking through the book to you and to me, Ben, Ben, you are anxious and troubled by many things, and you're totally missing, and I love the words of the KJV, the one thing needful, the one thing necessary. My friends, we've been looking at the parables for the last couple weeks, and if there's a common theme to all of the parables is that, is that Jesus' ministry, his teaching, is the overturning of social conventions. He eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. He associates with Samaritans, the half-breeds, the heretics. He touches those who are unclean, risking being contaminated himself. All of these things are in service to the kingdom. All of these things show, not just those 2,000 years ago, but those of us today, that the way of the world is dysfunctional. It's not the good life. Being busy all the time believing, whether in your mind or if you've just caught it, that in order to matter, I must produce. My identity is most fundamentally bound up and that I am a consumer. And I need that next thing. That next thing might just fill the void, might just make me happy. Here in this text, too, we see two great overturnings. The first is the less obvious one. If you don't believe me on this, check out N.T. Wright. Bishop N.T. Wright says that what we see here is far more radical than what we think it is. When Mary goes and presents herself at the feet of Jesus, she's doing the same exact thing that Paul writes about when he says, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Paul was a disciple of this great rabbi. Mary is putting herself in the position of a disciple of the son of God. So you can see why for Martha, much like for some of my friends I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon, The frustration. Maybe here in the South, you get it even more. My six plus months I've been here, I've received some of the best hospitality I've ever experienced. And that's all that Martha is really doing, right? If we were less distracted, if we had all of the readings for this Sunday, if we included the Old Testament text, we would read the text where Abraham is hospitable to the three guests, right? But we interpret as Abraham in being hospitable to the Trinity. And here, Martha, who is being hospitable, right? Like, if she's not going to do it, who's going to do it? If we don't have volunteers make the Lenten lunches, they're not going to get done. This is not merely some sibling rivalry where Martha's like, ah, Go tell Mary she's being lazy. No, Martha is offended because Mary is doing something that women don't do. She's not fulfilling her role. Her role is to help Martha. Lord, do you not care? Tell her to help me. And what Bishop Wright says is so radical here is that Jesus doesn't side with what should be done. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Jesus tells Mary, you have chosen the good portion. This will not be taken away from you. Mary has been invited into the life of full discipleship. Ladies, you're invited into the life of full discipleship. That may be less radical than it was 2,000 years ago, but it's still radical today. The other overturning that's happening is what we've been talking about all along. Being active and productive does not make you matter. He's challenging our identities as consumers. I have a friend who is a big-time producer, one of those New Yorkers who works 80 hours a week. I know some of you do as well, and some of you have to, and I'm not trying to bring judgment upon you. My friend, who is both a producer and a consumer, and he's admitted this, and I'm allowed to say this, my friend takes all the supplements in the world. Now, if you're into spas, good for you. That's great. I'm not trying to come down on any of this stuff. But it's so out of hand, and he knows it, that one day when I I pointed the finger at him, which, you know, I probably should have been pointing at the finger at myself because I'm the same way, but I I said, couldn't all this be solved if you were just quiet for 10 minutes in the morning and the evening? As if I was doing any of that. Mostly I'm just cheapskate and don't want to spend thousands of dollars every year on this stuff that seems placebo-ish to me. But don't you see, I mean, this we're all in this. Let's not pretend like we're autonomous individuals who are able to tell Instagram that's not who I am, who are able to go through our daily American lives and just say to produce is not to matter. Again, what Jesus is showing us is that our world really is dysfunctional, that the kingdom is upside down, and every once in a blue moon, because the message of this text is not that Mary is so righteous or so good. Mary has put herself, she's, been, she's being bold here. She's breaking the convention. And Jesus is saying, you get it. If this text is not saying that Mary is this uber-righteous one, it's also not saying what we said at the beginning. It's not saying that action isn't good. Again, there's a chronology here. We listen in order to act. Priority should be given to listening to the Word of God, to taking time out, to the act of sitting down, setting aside. It consists in not wishing to precede the Lord and accepting to be served before serving. Again, the oxygen masks that come from the ceiling. We've got to receive in order to give. If this were a Holy Communion service, I would take the wafer and the wine first, not because I'm special, but it's a picture of this very thing. You've got to receive before you can give. I don't want to end this sermon by saying, well, there are Marys and Marthas among us. I'm not saying that's bad. There was that very popular book that you remember having a Mary heart and a Martha world, which is not that different from what I'm saying here today. We're not supposed to come away from this sermon and say for all of you Enneagram lovers out there that Martha is a two and Mary is an eight and we can bring all these things together in us when we're healthy. The truth of the gospel is that both Mary and Martha are shipwrecked sinners. You and I know that this text stares us in the face wherever we're coming from and we do not measure up. What are you anxious about this morning? I know there are some people who are more anxious than others. I'm one of those people. I try to pretend like I'm not but I'm fidgeting with my feet right now. What are you anxious about? Is your marriage on the rocks? Are you frustrated with a child because they're not who you want them to be? Are your parents frustrated with you because you're not who they want you to be? Maybe you're here now and you don't know if you want to be a part of the Episcopal Church or any church at all. It's my pleasure to say to you, we are all shipwrecked sinners. We have been given a picture of the kingdom of God, what life will be, and what we have in-breakings of even in the here and now. My friends, despite all of this stuff that's in our brain and all of this information that gets into our beings without us knowing this lie that you must produce in order to matter, that you are fundamentally a consumer, our Lord is working in us to break us free from these shackles And there will be a day when we will pursue the one thing needful. The last thing I want to do right now is to tell you, don't be anxious as if that's a law that you're going to do. No, what we read in this text and what we hear when Jesus says, don't be anxious, is an invitation, an invitation to the kingdom of God, this upside-down world that's actually healthy. It's an icon of the good life. And this is why we come to church. Because we need each other. The word of God comes out of the mouths of others. I need to hear it from you. I need to hear that I'm not fundamentally a producer or a consumer. That I am a beloved child of God, that you and I are invited to sit at the feet of Jesus, be disciples, receive, and then we can give. This is healthy. This is the good life. It's a picture of the kingdom of God. And like it or not, it's coming. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.